The desert, with the black, sharp-edged mountains around it, was as different from what she was accustomed to as any landscape could be, yet she found after only a few weeks in Istan that she was falling by degrees in love with it. With the harsh sand, the hot sun, the merciless, gritty winds, and she found that the desert lured her as her own Greenland never had, but what discovery it lured her toward, she could not say. It was an even greater shock to realize that she was no longer homesick. She missed her occupation, and even more, she missed her father. She had left so soon after the funeral that it was difficult to believe that he was dead, that he was not still riding around in his estate, in his shabby coat, waiting for her to return. Then she found that she remembered her parents together again, as if her mother had died recently, or her father five years ago, or as if the difference, which had been so important, no longer mattered. She didn't dream of honeysuckle and lilac. She remembered them with affection, but she looked across the swirled sand and small, obstinate clumps of brush and was contented with where she was. A small voice whispered to her that she didn't even want to go home again. She wanted to cross the desert and climb into the mountains in the east, the mountains no homelander had ever climbed. excited about this book though so like the last episode the book club episode uh, godstalker chronicles you were like fuck yes this book i'm gonna talk about this book and like blue sword like every book on this list are your choices and your picks but i love this book and so i was really excited to see that and i'm really worried i'm gonna make it the same kind of episode because i'm so pumped at the same time this plot is a little bit easier to follow (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i don't think it's gonna be as confusing but i'm gonna be able to keep up with you step for step i'm so excited hey Um, why don't you introduce yourself okay i am erin your master of mediocrity and i am jessica the lieutenant of literature and as you might have guessed from our stinger slash intro I'm here to drag the Master of Mediocrity, not so unwillingly this time, through a cringy, soul-bearing episode of Book Club! Woo! Woo! (laughs) As we've already said, today's book is The Blue Sword by Robin McKinley. And I first read today's book in, I think it was probably early high school, late junior high. And it was... A pretty religious experience for me, but led to a lifetime of me trying to chase Robin McKinley around to read all of the things that she did outside of The Blue Sword, which includes one prequel to The Blue Sword, which is a very interesting experience when you go back and you expect that to be like The Blue Sword and then you realize it's like a completely different Damarian culture. And then a bunch of fairy tales, a bunch of Mm -hmm. modern fairy tales or illuminated or fleshed out fairy tales in a very more young adult sort of way and I really just love I just love the way that Robin McKinley writes things and so I ask the thing that I always ask Erin have you heard of this book and have you ever read this book (laughs) yes yes my particular copy of this book is 21 years old at the time of this recording so the book was originally published in 1982 I understand correctly and my copy is from the year 2000 so I first read it when I was about 11 or 12 years old and have read it multiple times since then my copy is folded and ruined and the spine is split and it's falling apart just a little bit but it is a beloved book and like you I think this was my first Robin McKinley story and at which point I moved on to all of her other books and those fairy tales and most of her other stories do get a bit more adult 
than the blue sword is, but they're so, they still kind of have that same, I want to say mid fantasy kind of YA romance feel at the same time, having pretty solid, strong female protagonists. Mm -hmm. Some books do get a bit more darker than others, but I just, I just really like it. I like her works in general, but this one is definitely my favorite. This one definitely has a nice, I don't know, it has a nice sort of atmosphere to it. I really enjoy the way that she writes the blue sword and the hero in the crown particularly have a couple of really specific things about them that I've noticed in my recent, okay, full disclosure, I got the audiobooks for both of these because I have a very long drive and that's like the best way for me to like sit down and slowly digest something as opposed to like just consume it in, you know, five hours sitting on the couch and then go, oh yeah, that was a great experience, but not retain any of it. So <laughs> I listened to the blue sword and then I went and I listened to the hero of the crowd and I came back and I'm like all but two hours toward the end of the blue sword again preparing for this episode so there were some <laughs> overarching things that I've noticed that I haven't that I haven't ever really zoned in on before and I I don't know I really like book clubs where you get to like read something that you love or have never seen before and really think about them like an English class for adults. God, I miss English class. The good ones, not the terrible ones where they're like, yes. diagram this and let's impose our classist ideas of English onto the youth. So a solid literature class would be nice for it? adults, though. <gasps> like, just pick up a book. Let's review it. Let's talk about the themes and the presence. And that's what we're Yay! doing in this book club. And I love it. Before I get yeah. into what you thought about the book and, and what you liked about the book, because I know, I know that you have a lot and I have a lot and we all have a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to do a synopsis. So basically okay. the overarching story is you have this world, right? Not so unlike our own world in which this girl, Harry crew, who is a Homelander orphan girl becomes a transplant into this foreign land that is occupied by the Homelander colonial power. So, you know, immediately you're kind of like, okay, so this is sort of like a, this is sort of like a placeholder for like an English colonization of like India or the Middle East or like some sort of not your tiny green land, but now you're sending your excess peoples out to exert control over other peoples. So you kind of have that like easy to digest premise. Like it's something that feels very normal in a Western girl picking this up as like a 12 or 11 year old. Like these are stories you have internalized from learning history classes, right? And so she is just a vehicle mm -hmm. to get to this place. And that's how the book starts. And she's, she's explaining how she's now on her way to go meet with her sort of estranged brother a little bit just because of the practices of the times. This is sort of like, um, kind of like a, I don't know, Victorian Regency era type timings in terms of like an English. It's definitely like early industrial era because they do have trains and the technology and things like that. And it, so it does have those outdated political practices and social practices of like inheritance goes to, I guess, male sons. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and you know, sons usually go serve in the military and then mm -hmm. get sent abroad. Yeah. So it has a lot of those kind of mid fantasy yeah, yeah. ideas. Like So the world that they're going to interact with is right on the outskirts of old Damar, right? So they're on this desert outpost at the very end of what the homelanders have been able to grab. 
and this woman finds herself falling in love with the desert in a way that is not quite the vogue for the rest of the little outcrop town. And quite unexpectedly one day, uh, the king from Old Damar comes in, and these are peoples who... A desert the desert king. king. Uh, he, these are peoples who have all sorts of whispers. Yeah. They're very mysterious. They, they are said to have magics. They're said to, you know, be very compelling in their own way, have a very strong honor code, and all of this stuff. So she's, like, very excited to meet this person. And then... You know, we kind of hit the we hit the main part of the plot, which is we start to sort of bounce back and forth between Harry and the King, uh, Corlass viewpoints, and you know, see this this young woman get swept up in a sort of fateful ride, like a, a journey of fate that she's been compelled on by these these extra supernatural forces. The whole thing is just really fun. Uh, there's always a in these two books a presence in the north that is not quite human kind of demonic that has the the keller the, the kellar the magic that the damarians must stand strong against to to hold their country together and you know like i think that i'd say maybe the first half of this book is her sort of adjusting to the strangeness of this other culture you know and then the second half of this book is her loving the other culture and sort of finding her way in it you know like a like a duck to water and you know then then like a very interesting take at tale of her trying to sort of resign herself not resign but like align herself with her herself in a very specific but very universal sort of adolescent tale kind of like a coming of age a, a coming into an adult tale is very explicit but it, it's fun because it's done sort of transculturally instead of just from one age to another it's like no there's there's so much more of me that I now have to figure out how to make my identity encompass and then um you kind of see her do the whole hero's journey thing where she trusts her gut and has the traditional clashing of ways with the king and goes and does what she thinks is right, which is kind of her job as the bridge between these two cultures, the the Homelander culture and the Damarian culture, in a very uh, flashy way. But it is definitely a woman gets swept up in this fateful journey type tale that is amazingly, like reading it now, feels amazingly like kind of genderless really like there there are specific gender things in the beginning when she's kind of wrapped up in homelander culture but like once she starts her journey in the demarian side of things you kind of you kind of feel a little bit like you're not beholden to female standards because maybe females aren't as interactive with the warrior sort of culture of damar at the moment in the modern day but it's still very much an open like if you are you know, you're just, you are an equal partner in this type deal, which is just really, I think, what drew me specifically to this book. So I'm going to open it up to Aaron to be more specific. And hey, Aaron, what did you like about this book? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I am gonna, you know, point out the elephant in the room that it is kind of like a, it's a white woman coming into a foreign culture and being the hero. Yes. Okay, that aside. I'll do it. I'll add a little bit of spoiler in that her family did emigrate from there. <laughs> so 
it is almost like a returning home for her in a weird sense. So there is a little like hand waving. It kind of makes it okay because she really was like from here and she has the magic from here. But I wanted to just kind of address yeah, that's that a good at the point. start. The magic is not yeah. of her whiteness. It's like it's the part of her that is from that world is is compelling her to be yeah. a agent of good change. And it's it's the only part of the world yeah. with yeah. magic too. So it's not like like when she talks about her time at home, it does feel very kind of King Arthur in a sense, very kind of mystical fae a little bit. But then as you go through the story, it's just because she's kind of a bit of a fae in that world. Magic doesn't inherently exist in her homeland. So her coming to this desert that is that she finds to be beautiful and hypnotizing and connected to, it's the magic from her family having been from there that is calling back to her so there's like a little it like kind of forgives it and then she even talks in the story about how she like she starts to she tans and looks just as dark at them you know she she Mm -hmm. starts to fit in a little bit more but i did really connect with harry our heroine for being stuck in this world where she doesn't fit in like i'm not this character i'm not too tall but you know she was too tall she was too independent she was too energetic she was too much of a strong will um she also has this like really impressive display of self-control and just this very strong personality always kind of fidgeting and i kind of related to that feeling out of step with the expectations from other people you know i i was a kiddo was very impulsive and i had a lot of explosions and a lot of anger issues and I wasn't always the greatest at self-control but I was always people instead of addressing that anger always wanted me to just sit and not do that so there were there were a lot of things that I connected with of that and as a child I was so in love with the idea of being able to grow and go on this adventure and find a place where I could be accepted as who I was and fit in and I haven't read this in a few years because life But going back to this as the adult who has been able to kind of grow through my own journey and find places where I do fit in and where I've been able to become comfortable in my own skin, I love this story even more. And I can kind of relate to a lot of that journey on on an emotional side. You know, that's why this story really like hits a good home. On the other side, like the superficial side, I just love this adventure. Like, the writing has a lot of really subtle allusions to the environment, and so, like, it's actually kind of a well-developed culture and well-developed areas, more so than I would have expected. It talks a little bit about representation in the sense that women aren't warriors, but more women come out to fight when they see Harry representing it. It's just, they talk about how there are lower numbers because like the royal family isn't reproducing as much and it's it's just all this kind of interesting connectivity the, the whole talk about how there being a secret group of people in the home from the homelanders who like are actually in love with the desert but don't talk about it it i just i loved all that kind of subtlety and that fascination that feeling out of place was just really i thought a great storyline yeah. i never read the prequel <gasps> hero what? in the crown because that one didn't engage oh. me as much. I tried, and it just didn't oh, engage me Aaron. as much Aaron. at the time. You Have you um, retried? Hey, I'm being honest. I have not retried. And I was going to follow up with that and, like, 
I need to. But this is a comfort read yeah. for me, so I usually go back and reread it more than I'm like, I'm going to pick up Hero and the Crown and try again. Oh, man. So. Oh, man. I'm excited for you to be able to try it again as an adult, though. Like, I know this is out- outside of the blue sword. It is very different. I've kind of said that at the beginning. It's very different. If you made it to the end, you would see how Robin McKinley is basically like, here's how the change between this world and that world happened. Basically, she explains why it goes from a very lush green sort of King Arthur world in Hero and the Crown to, you know, this desert community, Um, which is really fun and hand wavy. And I think that's part of what I like about Robin McKinley is she doesn't feel compelled to explain all of the magic to you. And she left like, she does. When you said King Arthur originally, mm-hmm. I was like, oh god, yeah. That is so, that is what this is tapping into. Not just in the England or the homeland section of it, but in the, just the way the gravitas that she lends to the stories and to the worlds. It is like listening about King Arthur and feeling yeah. like there's unexplained magics in the world that you know, the people are just kind of tapping into in a very inconsistent way, you know, like and, and moving forward with the with it, character study, basically. Because <laughs> I've noticed rereading both of these books that she gives action to the heroine. Like, the hero has the action. The hero has agency. The hero mm-hmm. does do things. It's not like ex machina type situation. The, the hero does things. But when it gets to the critical mass of it, the hero is just a vessel. And she kind of gives you that sort of illusionary feel to these big moments in life you know like most of my illusionary feels that I've had for big moments have been trauma right but it was something that even at that age whenever I first Mm -hmm. read this book I know what that feels like from trauma but like I could imagine from greatness as well you know like doing something so much bigger than yourself or doing or being a part of something that's so just super you know like it's just so much of just this huge extra ordinary thing I could feel that in all of the ways that she describes these main events it's like you know but for some luck and some stubbornness in the face of this big bad you know all you can do is the small things in the face of this big bad thing you're just swinging your sword to the next thing. And it feels like it's not even you swinging the sword. You know, it feels like the sword is swinging itself because that's just what the sword has to do to get to the next step. Kind of like a Frozen 2 moment, you know, like the just the next right thing. Yeah. You're just doing the small things and then you look up and the big thing is done and you're like, wow, you know, like, I guess I did that, but it doesn't feel like I did that, you know, and the magic did a lot of it, you know, but I just had to be there. I had to force myself to be there, even though every step of the journey was harder than the previous one was, you know, and it was just a very super relatable thing for a young girl growing up. Like, yeah, you just have to just do those small steps. And I guess the big thing will get done, I guess. And it's comforting to see that that is the way that the action plays out in these books. That's something relatable. Like there's not this person is so much like better than I am it's like this person is doing the best that they can do in a way that I could have done the best that I could do or can continue to do the best that I can do and maybe I'll get this heroic result yeah I really like as an adult reading it I appreciated seeing Harry really lean into and fully embrace 
the culture that she found herself in. Like, there wasn't any, I mean, there was a little bit of conflict of, like, you're a Homelander and you're also here with us. But I really liked the fact that she didn't insist on keeping Homelander things all the time. She really was just like, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm going to learn. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I feel like I belong and this is where people are accepting me. And she survived in that sense. Later in the story, whenever she they're going to war and it's going to be the big bad fight and she makes the decision to break off and do her own thing, you, you referred to her as that bridge. When she gets to that point, I did appreciate her kind of immediately accepting that she is a bridge. There was doubt in the sense that she had to abandon the culture and the king that she was loyal to because she was loyal to this new land of hers but she wasn't going to let her friends who showed her the desert when she was still a homelander die (laughs) because of some misdirected wounded pride you know so i like so she just made that decision like i'm still of these two cultures even though i'm no longer a homelander and i i really respected that part of the story for her she's like the the idea that you know, just because I'm still kind of a fish out of water, I know things too. You know, that was a really strong moment to be like, no, yeah, like my, I might not know the same things that you know, but I know things and this seems dumb and you can't explain why. Like you have no explanation for me. It's just because I said so. And that is not actually enough. Sorry. Um, I'm gonna go now. You know, <laughs> like, that was just a great, especially as an adolescent reader, but now as an adult reader, too, like, as a, as an adult female, <laughs> I'm also like, yeah, no, I, I mean, like, you meet that, you have that moment as you grow up with your parents and with the, uh, like, authority figures in your life or with, you know, the people who are supposed to be in charge, who, who always know the answer and have kind of kept you in the dark, where you're like, no, like, you have to give me a good explanation or this is dumb. So so this is just dumb now. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to go do what I think I have to do because otherwise I'm going to just be agonizing about the fact that I could have done something. It's, it's just really, yeah. No, it's it's probably one of my favorite yeah, parts of this book. It's definitely one of those, I got to do my own hot girl shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I do, and you know, I do love the diversity of culture that Robin added to the, the Mar, yeah. Uh, so the subtle differences in cultures that she added to the Damar, uh, the horse trainers, because it is a, a culture that prioritizes riding horses and that is their main way of travel. You have farmers, you have warriors, you have archers, the archer culture with the the mm-hmm. hunting cats. And the masons. The sleek dogs. Yes. And I loved just this diversity for such a quote unquote small world and they have this connection with mountains and it's I I think it kind of felt like a weird love letter in the sense of to this like desert world of look at all this diversity that we can have in such a small country because the homelanders are like well we can't get into the desert we can't figure it out we can't conquer it there's nothing to it we don't understand it and they're all very like isn't it just like so (laughs) exotic because we don't get it and then you you're running along with harry and harry's like these are the fine details this is like the archers have all these blue beads and they can hide in the woods perfectly and they have these sleek dogs and they have perfect aim and they talk to the clouds and it's just i i don't know i thought that was just a really cool 
way to build the world instead of it having pretty mm-hmm. homogenous. It had very distinct subgroups still within this one country. And they were all new to Harry and to the story. And yet they were also not separated. Like by the time you come across them, you are so into Harry's world of this, the newness and the acceptance and the practicality of things that it doesn't have that like that fantasy mystical appeal to it. You're like, of course there are amazing archers who are going to come along and defend their homeland and defend their people and stand with this woman who carries the sword that hasn't been carried in generations because there's been no woman warrior to carry it. You know, it's just like, you know, she makes these changes and she has this power and she has this, I want to say almost approachability, kindness to her. Like people care for her, that people want to flock to her and make stands with her because she's different. And I liked that. The part that she was immediately recognized for, even as she was actively being stolen, (laughs) like a thief in the night, the king comes in and snatches her from her bed and lays a magical Mm -hmm. sleep on her and she wakes up bouncing on a horse, like riding off into the unknown with no power over her circumstances. And you're like, oh, how's this going to go? Is this going to be bad? And she's just very self-contained, you know? Like, I'm not going to grovel. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. like, just roll over either. But I'm just going to be sort of like, well, this is this is where I'm at now. So I just I guess I'll just make the best of it. And, you know, like, on the face, you could... Like, I'm going to be a little wary. Mm, what <laughs> do you want <laughs> from me, specifically? Because that seemed like a very yeah. strange choice to have just grabbed me, specifically. <laughs> like, that stiff upper lipidness was not actually a product of her homelanderness it was a product of the self-control she had to learn to exist with the homelanders as faintly other product of more than one world Mm -hmm. you know she had this like inherent ability that nobody could understand or explain to her so she just had to like figure out how to control herself in this very just stoic sort of way (laughs) and just be the master of her own emotions she was <gasps> and i just love it i love it i love yeah. that she was a wild spirit who was too tall and too dirty and wanted to ride horses too much and looked people in the eyes a little bit too often i think and everyone's like oh mm, you're yeah. not mm, you're not Ooh, the type you're of weird woman. <laughs> and of course the weirdness of being stolen was the whole like people only danced with her out of pity yeah, for the like- brother <laughs> She's like, why am I being kidnapped by the king? <laughs> this doesn't make any what? sense. But but the but and the author doesn't try to make that like ooh. a product of her homelanderness. You know, like that's not that's actually what makes her unique in that yeah. situation, you know, without anything being too characterized. Like yep. you you meet the Demarians and they're they're all very individualized you know like i think the reason this works so well is she is she is sort of she could have written a very cringy thing that was like a really poor allusion to like arabian nights and meets king arthur you know like she could have done this really cringy cringy thing but what she did instead was i'm going to use the model of colonialization to have two different contrasting worlds for my my heroine to be a character who who exists between 
in the face of a greater danger. And both of those worlds are going to be like valid yeah. worlds. <laughs> and the view from either side is going to be this horrible 2D thing, you know, and understandably you find more like because Homelander is sort of a stand-in for England, like an industrial era England, you mm-hmm. you definitely focus more on the Damarian world as like the more fantastic. But it's not like a placeholder for, you know, like a bad mummy sort of, you know, like Egyptian thing or like it's it's not that. It's it's Damar, you know, <laughs> like and I think that is that is why it works, yeah. even though it could have been real gross. Like, I think it works because she's not doing it for that. She's taking pieces of things that feel, you know, very just diametrically opposed to what you would consider an English, like, industrial age society, but weaving it into this real relatable world even with that touch of like this is a little different once you get over the little differentness of it you're like oh god this is like this is like if the past was speaking into the present you know but it was just a different past you know what i mean like if it was just like a slightly different king arthur time talking to people that have trains you know (laughs) like (laughs) and mm. yeah no it is it is super duper fun in that way i definitely definitely enjoy that and I really like the way that Robin McKinley writes romance because it's never the main point of the book. Mm -hmm. It's always like a thing that they're like, we've got bigger shit to deal with now, but I'm going to make eye contact with you a little bit and be like, oh, okay. And then, okay, I got to go deal with this other shit, you know? (laughs) like, (laughs) And I felt like that was great. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was kind of fun too. Like they begrudgingly... So, like, he steals her away, Korlath steals her away because his magic is, like, insistent. Because the magic in this world is something that exists within royal families, and it's very, it's got a mind of its own, so you're never really in control of it. It kind of controls you. So, it's like, hey, you remember this chick who didn't really stand out for any reason? Hey, we're gonna, we're just gonna keep reminding you she exists. And he's like, all right, okay, whatever. I don't understand. Fine. And then at one point he's like, okay, here's our next steps. And then the magic's like, hey, you're going to go take her. And he just says it. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what? And so he like takes her. And so he has no idea what to do with her. But then he's like, oh, so she's got magic. Oh, she's actually pretty cool. I guess I trust her and respect her. And she can really use a sword well and like, She's going to be really important, so I'm going to keep her around. And I know she's going to be really important because prophecy magic made it obvious. So I guess I have to follow what the magic says. And then he, like, they have to go their separate ways. And I guess he's kind of like, I miss her. (laughs) I I begrudgingly respect her. And I kind of miss her for her weirdness and the fact that she can look me in the eyes. And like, (laughs) god dang it. And then she shows back up and he's just, like, awkward. And then they fight. And she's like, I don't know why we're fighting at each other, but I'm really upset about it. (laughs) And then she disappears and she's like, I'm so conflicted and upset. And then when she goes back, she's like really nervous. I just, I love it because it's one of those just like, I got really used to you and I guess I really like you kind of stories. And they're like, oh, and our magic is really strong and it keeps forcing us together. And like, we've had this weird, awkward tension. And now it's like, okay, now we're peers. Like we're peers. And it's like, 
<laughs> and so as a kid reading when they get to the the uh capital city of damar when they get to the castle and as a child and he puts her in this room that was made for his mother and it's green and it has this flowing water i just thought that was beautiful because i was not a romantic <laughs> child and but as an adult i'm re- like reading through that scene again so he he gives her kind of this private place to recover because she wins this exhausting tournament. She goes through six weeks of concentrated, intense training. So she's exhausted. So he gives her this room that's quiet. It's relaxing. And it's just like, you can just stay here and sleep. And so she does. And it's this really just private space for her because it's not like she really knows what's going on. And it just, as a kid, I was like, great. Yeah. You, you're like, you're our guest. We're about to go to war. You just kind of hang out. You process everything that's happened to you. But as an adult reading it and he walks her through and he's like, he made it for my father made it for my mother because my mother was never going to be a warrior. And it's this beautiful place for her in this place. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a love letter. I was like, this is a love letter. He's straight up just being like, I really missed you. And here's this place that my dad made for my mom because he really liked her. And I don't know how to tell you. So will you stay here? And it does such double duty. In this place that was made for my mother. And you're like, oh, this is so precious. It is so cute. But it's also so smart because in the moment when you're first going through it, because he doesn't tell her that until later, right? He doesn't tell her "Mm," until like, She's been there and she's just now starting to wake up after like recuperating and stuff. So it's like almost time to go. Like she's going to be there for maybe 24 more yeah. hours. And he, that's when he tells her it was his, like it was his mom's chamber. And like before that, it just serves to be yeah. this thing where it's like kind of a demonstration of how she's magically good at this, but isn't actually like in control of her magic type deal like her her evolution is entirely mm-hmm. outside of her control hush now that adults are talking you know like you can't contribute to plans or you know like yeah. big machinations and stuff and kind of underlines and basically drives the action later when she's like no I understand this one detail and you're being dumb you know like it's kind of a good balance for that like like listen this is a good plot device because it does like so many different things for the story it kind of gives her this like child in a room full of adults vibe even though she's a very like she's a very competent child but she's still a child in this world you know and it's this awkward love letter from this also sort of child man who doesn't know how to do feelings and yes and then like after she's like no fuck you i know that part of the map because we had that and i know things too god damn it and she like runs off to go do hot girl shit and then she comes back and and he's like okay so you're an adult now and i'm an adult and i i can say that i like you a lot and please please make this work for me because i kind of publicly said that we were engaged (laughs) <laughs> I know. Oh, oh my god! Like all of that, I'm just like, you fool! It like he's confronting her publicly too, and I'm just like, yeah, oh no, because he's like, please never leave me again, and she's like, can I come back? And he's like, I don't want you to go again. It's just like so cute, and it had nothing to do with the plot except everybody else around them is like, uh huh, sure, you guys aren't head over heels, whatever. Because like reading through it again. A- people like just side-eyeing her and they're like 
Corlath can tell you about that later. And you're like, oh, and, you're, and then you're like, oh, it's because they're both have magic or whatever. But it's just kind of yeah. like, uh huh, uh huh. Everybody's like, every time they fight and they like glare at each other, everyone's like, uh, mom and dad are yeah, fighting. like mm, get a room, you two, <laughs> get a room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and you're. It, I thought it was so funny too when he first is like, "I'm gonna kidnap her." There's one of the one of his uh, like inner circle, one of his knights, his writers is like, "Really, you're gonna no? Excuse me, there are people from Damar you could go bone. Why are you stealing this girl?" And he's like, "I'm not gonna force myself on a woman." He's like, "What are you doing then?" He's like, "I don't know." They're like, "Okay, okay, so this isn't like some weird hanky panky thing." And he's like, "No." I can't control and then, this. And then he brings her back and they're like, sure, it's not a hanky-panky thing, Corlath. And he's like, it's not! Uh-huh. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's not! And then she disappears and he's like, I don't know what's happening! I'm gonna, <laughs> like, I'm gonna I have emotions. emotions. Also, now that you mention it, that does add a n- nice little layer to when she's off training for six weeks with her, with her like, BFF slash daddy figure out in the mm-hmm. middle of the desert slash the hills, like, learning how to be a hot girl. She is. She's real pissed off at him. He's like, Coralath can tell you that later. And thinking back on it, that guy trained Coralath. Like, he knows Coralath. So at this point, Coralath is just this, uh-huh. like, weird mysterious sort of like begrudgingly i guess i brought this girl to my house type thing to her because she doesn't know him very well but the guy that was his old teacher is like oh yeah he he like her he he gonna get her later like hold on this is adorable let me just like now kiss you know i don't like the teacher of the sword being like now kiss (laughs) is fucking mwah like mwah mwah like i love it I do, I do love that whole, he said, like, Corlath is like, I guess I brought this girl home. It's like he's bringing her home to their trainer, and he's like, hey, dad, I brought this girl home, I don't know why. And the dad's like, oh. Okay, well, we're, I know why, and it's to teach her how to use a sword, right? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) And then also the teacher gets a fucking uh, reputation for being a lover of women because he's like noticing all of the women warriors and stuff and it cracks me up he's like i only accept the best students like <laughs> like yay and they're like sure, sure uh-huh. you do <laughs> i love being an adult and reading it and be like these guys are yeah all yeah there's hoarding. there's actually one scene them, like... <laughs> where one of the two guys that goes with the king to get the get the little blonde out like the not little blonde out a homelander girl and he's like all i want is a young woman he's he's many times a grandfather and all i want is a young woman who's in in my bed who's very impressed by all of my war stories and i'm like you fucking dog like as an adult reading it i'm like you gross dog dude like probably like a a 65 year old man like an 80 year old man like because they live longer and he's just like Yeah. yeah i could I could use a hot new yeah. thing. And I'm like, you have grandchildren, sir. Like, yeah. like excuse, excuse you. you. Put it in excuse your, put it you. back in your pants. Calm down. This, <laughs> this is, is a kid's story. This is Corlath's woman that he stole away with no idea what he was doing. And then he was like, oh, I really like her. Because there's that time in the mountains, right? When they go to meet the prophet guy and He's like looking at them and he goes, yeah, you all have this like weird connection because you're both really magical and you're kind of important. And she's just like, I don't know why he's mad at me all the time. And 
even he's like, I don't think he knows why he's mad at you all the time. Like y'all are just really, <laughs> really similar. <laughs> like, Adorable. It is, but like that isn't even why I liked it. I think I liked that kind of love story because it was like they were equals more than they were, you know, a damsel in distress. I mean, she went off and she took down the leader of the enemy's army on her own while he stood and fought the other half of the army on his own, like with, I mean, with their troops and stuff, but she didn't, she wasn't a damsel in distress who got rescued by the king. And then, you know, because she was rescued and she figured out how strong he was, they could be in love. No, it was more like, he wasn't even responsible for making her strong. She went out and had to like train with other people and became strong on her own. People flocked to her because of her own determination and her resilience. And then she was like, I got to go do this right thing because like my magic is telling me I have to do it. And I don't want my brother and my friends to be murdered by this army that's going to come through. She's like, I don't stand a chance in hell. Like I am an ice cube <laughs> going to hell right now. <laughs> but I'm do it. And she does. And she stands up and people follow her because she has that strength because there are other people who also are like, we've got to at least try. You know, we've got to do the right thing. And she kicks ass. And so she comes back the king's peer. And that's when they're kind of like, hey, <laughs> like, so you're strong and I'm strong. Do you want to be strong together? And I missed you. And she's like, yeah, I didn't think you'd, like, you'd welcome me back. And I really missed you too. And then he's like, so I did do the whole public engagement thing. Are you cool with that? And she's like, I guess. Sure. <laughs> Just like, yeah, it's fine. Not only are you going to welcome back, but will you be the you queen? Wanna... <laughs> like, yes, this is a penultimate reward for yeah. You want to you. You be my uh, you want to be my uh, my lady? <laughs> I kind of kind of announced to the public that you that you were be my baby <laughs> be mama. My baby mama, and they do. They're like, mm, we're going to get right on that <laughs> in the most fade to blacky type of way. Oh my but god! But I liked it too because it was like a way that she continued to do her like the what she what she was good at you know like do her i don't know her deal her fate in the world you know and also sort of like reinvigorated damar in the mm-hmm. process because like they were they were faltering yep. due to like just age and <sighs> lack of banging yeah <laughs> magic and yeah and lack of and royal banging and they yeah. got some royal banging in and the people are like yes Thank this is great all of the gods and- one thing that I really did also like about Harry, yes, like, thank you for our heirs, for, like, no. <laughs> but one thing I did like about Harry, though, that is completely unrelated to the romance, is that she, despite being really, really good, always was repulsed by how naturally and reflexively she became attached mm-hmm. to her sword. Like, she would wake up tense and have her hand on it or she'd be able to sling it over herself really easily or she would be really close and attached to it feel naked without it and she did not like that part of her journey she did not like becoming this violent warrior and it really stuck out to me more uh, as an adult than it did as a child reading through and seeing like no she doesn't want to be violent she wants to work with people and she was really more about the people around her and the representation and the relationships than she was about being this badass warrior and that really was a driving force i think for her and 
later in the story when she was like really struggling with this suicide mission of going out and trying to stop this army she's like these people with me it meant more to her it was more impactful knowing that they they went in knowing we're not going to win because she's like i'm not this badass soldier this is something the burden i've just been given we might not walk away from this and it just felt heavier than when you go to the final stand of a hero and you know they're gonna make it out right like you just walk into it and you're like yeah you have 12 people (laughs) (laughs) like this is this is not gonna go well it also didn't romanticize the violence as much either as a story like it it really was a burden placed on them rather than an adventure any of them were excited to take I liked I liked sense? a couple there was a detail in there about the horse training that I liked a lot which was sort of like was of that same vein where they were originally taught to be war horses for the amount of intelligence and training and skill involved with that you know and then now those war horses are actually being used as war horses and you know like as a sadder reality they are the one in which it was just a you know, a skill that they, that they loved, you know, in a way for them to be better in, entwined with their horses, you know, like, I don't know, that was a, and, yeah. and instead of a cultural yeah, thing, just as a, yeah. as a, as a test of skill and of pushing themselves as people. And then it was like, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess we can use it for the other thing too, in a less, awesome way like like they weren't it wasn't like oh yes finally our time has come it was like oh yeah well at least and it was so cute like the amount of gratitude that robin puts in for her heroines and heroes for their animal companions and for the people who are around them helping them i really appreciate that and that feels kind of like a feminine perspective to me a little bit this ultimate like this this gratefulness for the people who are your support systems and it was a really fun moment to me not so much fun impactful to me whenever whenever she did have two human friends follow her off on her suicide mission um and she was like at least I don't feel like I forced them to come like that I had some sort of uncool like compelling that happened you know because like you know she loves her animal companions and they're super duper like her favorite you know people but she's also like felt ultimately responsible for them as like the human being in the group and it was nice it was like a a loading of burden for her to have Mm -hmm. human beings with you know she could she knows that they have their own mind because they could communicate that to her and that felt a little bit like a relief and then they were much better prepared for it than she was too She's like, I don't know, the cat would hunt for me. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but the cat can't make bread. Here's some bread, you dumbass. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that was really great, too. I love that scene. Reading it again, I was like, yeah, there we go. There we go. You dumbass. You know, in the way she really brought mm-hmm. animals in, I thought that was great, too. This, the, these novels are character studies, you know? before their action novels the action is almost like rereading it every time i reread it i've just been struck even the even the first time i read it i was struck by how the climax isn't ever really the action scenes you know like the climax is always the 
the human moments, you know, that those are the ones that keep you just rolling with these books. You know, the action scenes are wonderful and they're well done and they have this like surreal feeling to them. And it's that coming back to reality thing that I really appreciate because I have this thing where I read some of these YA novels, like the Hunger Games was a real horrible experience for me because I read it and I just wanted the heroine to die mm. at the end because I was like, there's no way to come back from the amount of trauma and pain that this author has put this character through. There's no way. Like, I would not, at that point, want to continue living. Like, that is not what I want for this character because it's painful and it's terrible and, like, it's never going to be good for them. Like, it's not a good payout for them at the end. And I, I love that Robin McKinley doesn't force you to feel that. Like, she doesn't traumatize you with the action. She gives you this buffer of serility and magic and like yes big awesome terrible things happen you know and then you have a chance afterward to interact with the life that feels solid and real again and it feels very much like a blanket like a comfortable blanket of yes like growing up is hard but this too shall pass you know yeah yeah it is a comfort read for sure for sure but we did have one person give some <gasps> feedback. Oh my god, this is my favorite part of so, book club! Okay, yay! Yeah. All right. Okay, so this is from Stevie, who I mostly know through Discord. All right? He's on a Discord with me for The Comic Burrito, which is another... It's a YouTube show, mostly, that t- discusses comics, and it's actually really, really fun to watch. So two shout-outs, but this is for Stevie. Thinking of you, buddy. So by the time we're recording, he had not finished the book. But let me kind of go through what his thoughts were on it. It has a very Jane Austen by way of Herbert Tolkien vibe to it. And feels a little bit like The King and I in some respects, too. He likes that Harry and Corlath are both outsiders. And that Corlath's Kalar, the magic, saw something in Harry no one else has seen. And he's really enjoyed that book. And just kind of like how she was shown around the camp and how they brought her into the circle and way of life, how she was taught to use a sword, how she was able to quickly learn how to ride the horse. Like he likes stories where characters are more than meets the eye. I bet he'd probably recommend this book to teenage boys and girls, definitely for people who are Harry Potter fans. So he's really enjoying it. He wanted to dive into the book ASAP whenever we told him about it. And, uh, He's really, really Yay. liked it. And that's the best thing to it hear. It is. I love it when I love it when we get feedback from people who haven't ever I know we've gotten whole two pieces of feedback, but I get so excited, especially when people are reading these books for the first time. Because it feels like these part these books have been such a huge part of my life, like for so long. These are books that I've read and reread Same. and just <laughs> just agonized over since I was young like in almost all of these cases and like to just hear that somebody's picking it up for the first time ever is just extremely exciting to me like just so super duper excited so we are going to be reading the changeover oh oh my god another book in which I have just thought about this book for so long and have a really hilarious story about this book so 
I'm very excited. I'm very excited to talk to you about it, but I'm also excited to, to hear what you think about it. It's a little bit different than the ones that we've done so far because it's sort of a modern, not modern book. I think it was written in like the 80s or something, but it was a modern book set in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. So just there you go. It's a modern book set in New Zealand, not a, not a historical fantasy book for once. So it is a little bit different from the books I've suggested so far. Is this the the changeover by Margaret Mahy? Yes. M A H Y Mahi? Yes. A hundred percent. That is the book. It was totally made into a movie, and so what I'm gonna do is watch the movie don't, and then come and pretend no, that, that was the book. Don't do that. I will really know immediately. I'm just because it was so different. It was a good movie, but it was so different. Um, I just watched it this year because I found it on the some of the Prime streaming services, but. Yeah, it's a 1984 book. It's uh, the full title. If you Google the changeover book, you will get the changeover, a supernatural romance, <laughs> which is such an 80s sort of title to have. And it cracks me up. Oh, my God. But yeah, no, please continue to read. It's a it's a lot shorter. It is only 214 pages. Like, come on, guys. Like, I've, I've thrown okay. so much at you so far. Like I did only 214. That's I did true. put a lot of smaller books in here too, just because first of all, they're the books I've read over and over since I was a child, and also because I know it's a monthly book club, so like people have lives and need to not read yeah. a thousand pages a, a month, even though I would love to throw like a bunch of a thousand page novels at you. I understand that that is not practical in every way, especially if you're also harboring an intense comic Thank you for addiction. your consideration. <laughs> Don't, don't judge me. Don't call me out like this, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that is a wrap for this episode. That though. is a wrap for this episode. Woo woo! I'm so happy that you guys are interacting. Thank you so much for listening. If you have something about today's book to say after the fact, because this is something that you can you be like, hey, I didn't get there the month of, but you know, 15 months in the future, they decide I'm going to read this book and then I'm going to listen to this podcast and then I'm going to interact with them and send them a note. You can totally do that. You could do that thing. It, it's the internet. It's the age of time doesn't matter. You can also follow us on Twitter for more comic news and reviews, as well as random drunk tweets from your master of mediocrity, uh, which she hasn't done as much lately. What the hell, Aaron? Sobriety, man. That's a terrible time for that. I, I don't think that this is, you need, I need to live vicariously through you at the moment. Uh, <laughs> oh, the pressure <laughs> if you like what we do please like okay. subscribe or leave a five-star review on any of the places that will let you do that uh we're on apple podcast now we are on spotify we are on youtube aaron's really good at sharing our link tree <laughs> and um i think you shared the link tree in other places too haven't you like on facebook when you make the facebook posts on the Facebook yeah. also. So mm -hmm. just find that link tree. Mm -hmm. It's pretty legit. I didn't know what it was until Aaron made it. And let me just tell you, super useful. Also, if you look at that link tree, you would notice that we have a Kofi page. So if you like what we do, you should consider buying us a comic book. Yeah. I think that's all of the things. There's so many things now. Oh my God. What has happened to us? We've become a, like a machine. We're part of the establishment now, Aaron. It's growth. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Mm. Don't like that. Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, thank you. Again, can't stress that enough. 
And please consider looking us up again. We have other stuff. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Classism. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. The small one. Jessica, the small one. <sighs> <laughs>